Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the pond is the statesman to my kingsman and a damn fine fellow, it's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, Matt. How are you this fine evening? Uh, I am doing uh, exceedingly well, other than the fact that I managed to win myself whilst <laughs> having a cup of tea. But uh, no, I- I'm good, my man. I'm good. Um, glad to be back on in the BAMP bus again to talk films. Uh, are you keeping Florida safe and well? Doing our best. Uh, <laughs> failing miserably, it would seem. But we're, you know, we're trying. Um, we're masking up, uh, some of us, uh, myself and others. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it is. Uh, it's it's something. That the UK and US still going hand in hand in that respect. Um, right. For those who are new to the bloody awesome movie podcast, firstly, welcome. Secondly, spoiler free zone for now. We take the biggest film of the week or the most interesting, uh, and we give our non spoiler thoughts and opinions on it. We also drop a spoiler review, which is much shorter, uh, in a few days time. So if you want your spoiler thoughts, check back in in a few days time on the same podcast feed that you're getting this one. So this week, we are watching and talking about and checking out Free Guy, which was directed by Sean Levy, written by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. And it stars Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, Taika Waititi, Lil Ray Harry, Joe Keery, Utkash and Bugkar, and a special surprise superstar who we are not going to spoil for you on this episode, at least. What does Letterboxd say? It says it's a bank teller called Guy realizes he is a background character in an open world video game called Free City that will soon go offline. Fairly uh, top level synopsis. That's, that is literally the spoiler free synopsis. As spoiler free as you can get. Uh, critically, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, 62 on Metascore, 7.7 from the IMDb user score. Uh, not bad all round. And it was released in the past week in theatres worldwide. So stateside and over here in Her Majesty's Green and Pleasant Land. We also got that. So just one last time, no spoilers on this episode. Now, for Free Guy, I had no idea what this was about before I went into it. I had no Uh, idea. I I don't watch trailers an awful lot unless it's something which really interests me otherwise i'll just go into a film and be as blind as possible i had no no idea what free guy was about i assumed it was like a a fun kind of rom-com about you know ryan reynolds he's uh he's some sort of like single dude or or he's just been really i don't know but free guy i was wrong (laughs) well it took me a few minutes to work out what the hell was going on but when i did i was in and i had a good time with free guy I, i did enjoy this film um what I will say for me is it wasn't quite as funny as I hoped it would be. I, I thought it was going to be kind of a laugh out loud comedy. And I found myself thinking that, I don't know, honestly, I want to be as, I want to be as bold to say as over half the jokes didn't entirely land for me. Didn't make me cringe, but they didn't always make me uh, laugh or smile. It, you know, some of them felt a bit off, but uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, wasn't off. I thought he was Ryan Reynolds in the role. He wasn't quite as uh, manic as, he is when he's Deadpool, but that's not what the character of Guy called for. The, the character of Guy is a more sweet, kind of more kind of naive guy to start with. He's the he's the one you want to root for. He's the uh, the underdog of the story. And Ryan Reynolds is a was was a good choice to to play the character. He's a he's a likable guy in the real world, and he's just as likable in here. Jodie Comer, I do believe this is her kind of first big. Hollywood outing, not including the cameo yeah. and the Rise of Skywalker. I think this is her first kind of uh, headlining act, and I think she's very good as well. I like Jodie Comer anyway; she's yeah. wonderful in Killing Eve. Uh, I also noticed that she dropped her native accent, her Liverpool Scouse accent, which is for those for the uninitiated. She sounds like one of the Beatles, but uh, not in this film. They've, they've they made her talk in an American accent or a posh Southern British accent. Uh, Taika Waititi is. Uh, I, I, I was fine with Taika Waititi. I don't think this is his best performance by any means. Um, I, I would also think he was slightly miscast in his. I think they could have got someone else in. Uh, Lil Ray Harry. Every time this guy is in a film, I like I like him. Lil Ray Harry. He's he's a secondary character in the film, absolutely. Uh, in, in a film full of uh, NPCs, but I thought Lil Ray Harry was 
he was just he had heart he had the jokes him his relationship with guy ryan reynolds character that was the heartbeat of the film man the emotion of the film was kind of between those two obviously jodie coma plays into this as well but i thought little little ray was great in his little role See, I thought that was quite good. Uh, no, I thought this yes. film was very decent. It was, uh, there's some good action scenes in it. I thought CGI looked pretty good, to be fair. Um, I just wish it had been funnier. There's a couple of moments in it which made me smile, more so in the third act. Um, there's a couple of things that happen where I was like, kind of like a one-two punch. Where I thought, yes, it is, of course, it is um, symptomatic of the studio who is now producing these films, but... I had a good time with moments like that. And yeah, whilst I don't think this is anywhere near the perfect comedy, I really want a good comedy, man. I was speaking with my buddy Ant the other day and we were trying to work out, has there been an, like an all out great comedy since the nice guys one, oh. like a, like a really good comedy. And I'm struggling, man. It's been good comedies. Girls, uh, girls trip and things like that. Uh, what's that one with, uh, the Monica Lewinsky beanie film. And I can't think now, um, we, 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 Booksmart as well, I'm thinking of. Oh, yes. Yeah, that yeah, was great as well. But I wanted this to be a laugh out loud comedy. For me, it wasn't, but it is getting good reviews around the block. Ryan Reynolds wants a sequel. I'm going to ask you, John, are we going to get a sequel? But more importantly, what did you think? I, I think the numbers right now are trending that we will probably get a sequel. It's it's doing very well. Um, I love this movie. This movie is is in my top five, like Suicide Squad. Nice. I was, uh, August immediately has become the month of the year, which is surprising. Uh, I, I am a Ryan Reynolds fan. Like I, I've admitted that for many, many times. I He, to me, just immediately tickles my funny bone, much like Kamel Nanjani. Those two guys have a direct line to, to my heart, <laughs> and they almost always work for me. But this movie surprised me in every way because of the trailer. I This is one of the best trailers that sells the general plot, but does not give away all of the elements that the film actually does. And it's one of the things, um, there are third act scenes in the trailer, but they're used in a way to set up the general story without revealing what those moments will actually mean. And I was, I was like, wow, that's a really good trailer edit. But the movie itself, um, I am big like longtime gamer. So I'm very familiar with a lot of this. The one area of this movie that I don't know enough about to get all of the jokes were the streamers that show up throughout the film. Yeah. I don't know if they were real streamers or if they're just actors uh, pretending to be streamers. Some of the, I know some of them were cause uh, having right. a quick Google afterwards. So a few people were quite Same. excited. Yes. I didn't know them for, for the fans of those people. They're going to be super pumped that they're in the movie. I'm sure. But I loved the the integration of the video games. I love the actual story that's kind of outside of it, which we won't get into details, but Jodie Comer um, and uh, um, Joe Keering, right? Is that right? Uh, Joseph yep. Keering. Um, I, was, I really love that whole story. I have been a pretty big fan of Abukadir or whatever. Uh, I'm probably butchering his name, but um, he's in Pitch Perfect, and then he's also in... Um, he has one of the best scenes in uh, in Blind Spotting. He tells the story about why David Dick's character Colin gets into prison. Like he's Damn, the one who yeah. recaps that whole story, and he's so good in that role. Um, and I've I've really really enjoyed him and everything. So I was it was exciting to get to see him in this role. Taika is just crushing the cameo roles, right? Like it's, it's more than a cameo, but he's also he's not in a large chunk of this movie. But when he shows up, he's just Taika. Um, He's got such a presence, even like he he doesn't change the way he speaks at all. Like he uses the same verbiage. Like he loves saying "bro." Like that's just the thing he does, and um, I, I love it. I, I just think it's great. I, I there were so many moments I did laugh out loud. I will admit it wasn't a nonstop laugh riot though. Like I can't sit here and say that, but they do pull in rom com elements um, that work for me. As I again have admittedly been a a rom com kind of stand. It's a it's a genre that often works for me. And if it's done well, it really, really works for me. And I thought it was fantastic in this movie in a multitude of ways. I think there's layers there. Um, there's so much commentary. Like there's, it's just, there's so much to appreciate about this film. It is far smarter than I would have ever expected a movie about an NPC who gets killed. And so like a lot of the jokes are like the NPC being like decimated by the world he lives in. Yeah. Cause he lives in what is essentially a Grand Theft Auto five 
reality, right? Like that's yeah, the, like the Grand Theft Auto, Fortnite kind of life. Yeah, th- there are Fortnite references, but the overall understanding of Free City is that people run around doing bank robberies and stuff, which is a hundred percent GTA Five. Like it's it's the online GTA Five, and it's it's great. I had so much fun with this movie. I, I definitely would see a sequel. At the same time, I don't know that you have the magic that you have in this film in a sequel. Like it's True. not going to be, there won't be the twist. There won't be the surprise elements. And there's not a lot of surprise elements, but like the actual reason why we're with this character, the reason why this NPC becomes aware, like that element just wouldn't make sense in a sequel in the same capacity. It, so if they do a sequel, it has to develop where it left off and not just try to rehash the same movie. And I fear based on most Hollywood sequels, it would just try to rehash what this movie did and then it wouldn't be good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where you would go from here, but I'm not a professional writer. So maybe somebody can do something with that, but I feel like more likely we would just get them trying to make this movie again and it wouldn't be good. The only thing I could think of in terms of a sequel is, uh, you know, have different characters, but then you market your film on Ryan Reynolds. That's yes. why Ryan Reynolds wants a sequel because obviously he'll probably be producing it he'll probably have a hand in writing it i imagine the sequel and of course he's the main man he's a star he's all over the posters and the marketing but yeah i agree with you though dude is what do you do if you for those who have seen the film yeah what do you do in a sequel that isn't just rehashing or, or kind of something which ups ups the stakes a little bit it doesn't have to be an action film going forward like a kind of a yeah. diehard thing but you, you've got to have something you've got to have a heartbeat a pulse to it which this film did have how do you do that in the next film which isn't just um yeah just dressing up in new clothes so that, that's a very good point um it's funny because i did like this film but hearing you talking about the sequel like that it also makes me think that i'm not overly pumped by the idea of a sequel if if they if, it, if this was like a fear street thing and they said there's a sequel coming out next week okay fine but i still wouldn't be like excited i gotta imagine that there's a the sequel's not going to be out till at least a year, 18 months time. I mean, what's, yeah. what's, I don't know about the listeners or yourself for my hype levels. I'm not going to be sitting there getting really excited in the build up. That, that's not to say that, Oh, they shouldn't release a sequel because someone's not going to be excited. There's loads of films, which are not hyped for, but I end up digging, but it's, um, just like the idea of I've watched this film and I didn't think I need to know what happens next. I can't wait to see where they take this story. I think it works as a one and done. And, I would have probably, again, I can't speak hypothetically because we haven't got a sequel. Um, but sometimes I like the idea of having those one and done films where this is just a film. You know, it's just one film has a start, middle and end, which it absolutely does as well. It, it doesn't does. need a sequel. And that's what, that's what kind of worries me. Not that they're going to tarnish the legacy of free guy, but no. what's the point? Yeah. But like, like you said, like this movie succeeds in exactly the story it's trying to tell. And again, in ways that I would never have guessed that it could. Like, I would not... I went into this movie hoping just for some laughs, and I walked out overly satisfied. I, I did laugh. I, I enjoyed the humor, um, but I was... I really loved these characters. I was invested. I cared about their outcome, and I got a satisfying conclusion. A sequel... Uh, it can't ruin this experience, but it can, in itself, just the fact that it doesn't need to be have a problem. Now... That said, I like Ryan Reynolds. Um, Deadpool and Deadpool 2, I enjoy both movies. And Deadpool 2 does a good job of building on what happened in Deadpool 1 rather than just being a second movie with the same stuff. Uh, granted, the joke's relatively the same, but that's Deadpool's personality. Yes. Um, and Reynolds is heavily involved in the, the process there. So if, if the same were to apply here, if he were involved in the sequel, I think he knows what he's good at. And he's he's gotten pretty good at picking those roles, right? Like I think you go through a phase in his career where he was, they were trying to make him like the guy, like they wanted him to be like a Tom Cruise or Will Smith, mm-hmm. like superstar. And I don't think that's him. He has a, he has a very niche style. And if he's in the right role, he nails it. And I, I, I like him. I am there for Reynolds and his style of humor, the, the snarky, charm sarcasm right like he's he's never really mean even when he's ripping someone because he can eviscerate people with his sarcasm but there's still like this niceness about him in most cases there are exceptions but generally speaking that's the thing i like about him because he can be 
so snarky and it still sounds like he's being nice and charming. So I love him in the proposal, for example. I think he's yeah. fantastic in that movie. Um, and I think here, my one hesitation that I think I still have, I, Jodie Comer is new for the most part to me. I don't know how old she is, but I got a vibe that Reynolds is probably like 20 years older than her. She is, I want to say, mid-20s without doing any research, which I'm and Reynolds has to be doing his- now. And he um, has to be in his forties, like easily. Okay, like she's twenty eight, twenty eight years old. I, mean, that's, that's, I imagine is about four. I'm going to go forty three. Sure, that sounds about right. And that's that's. I mean, forty four. There you go. People date in that age gap for sure, but I do think maybe Reynolds is hitting that point where it's like I don't know that I'm okay with him like getting the younger the clearly younger girl in the movies. And again, he's a great looking guy in no way. Is that a criticism of his yeah, appearance? Yeah. I'm just, I'm very aware of how long I've been watching him in movies. And I knew that I'm like, I think he's like way older than her, especially when Joe Keery is her counterpart, right? Like in the yes. real world, like he's, and I'm like, well, he's real young. Like I know how young he is because of stranger things. So like, there's no way Reynolds and, and Jodie Comer should have any kind of romantic entanglement. Um, and so like that, that's a small Chris. And again, obviously tons of other examples exist in Hollywood where that has been the thing, but sometimes it's like glaringly obvious that like, no, I don't buy that. That, and again, it's not the chemistry. I think they have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. I just was very aware that I didn't know her. And thus I assumed she was very young. She looks young too, but uh, I was like, mm, no, I don't think so. But again, it's a small criticism. And again, I love this movie. So no, nothing about the movie itself. I, I was a hundred percent on board. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I, I can't wait to own this. This is definitely a movie that I could just throw on and have in the background. I just thought it was super, super charming, very rewatchable in my opinion. And I, I'm, I'm on the, the high end of the meta score for sure. Here we go. If John Burke says he's going to buy this film, then it absolutely gets to Burke amended thumbs up. Uh, yeah, I agree. I hadn't actually thought about the, um, the two leads there. I hadn't just generally because Ryan Reynolds looks so good. I say for his age, yes. he's, he's not exactly push, um, pushing up the weeds just yet, but uh, I yeah. hadn't even thought about that, but no, that's a, that's a point well taken. And yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds is now at the point where he can be selective about his roles. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, he, <laughs> he couldn't be, um, but now yeah, I, I like him in, most things I see him in, I liked him in. A, there's a film called The Voices. I thought he was very good in about six, seven years I still ago. Still haven't watched that. I, it's been on my radar for a long time. I need to go back. I haven't seen that. And um, what is it? Buried, where he's like buried yep. alive. I haven't yeah. seen those two movies. Those are two gap films of his that I need to watch. Some of his mannerisms in this film reminded me of him in that film. So, um, which I found fairly interesting but um well it sounds like then uh just to confirm for anybody out there who just doesn't quite understand jb thumbs up for free guy thumbs up way up way in the air yep i'm gonna give it a thumbs up as well wish it was funnier but it certainly gave me uh, entertainment for the near two hour runtime so free guy go check it out it's in theaters wear a mask uh, right now we are going to move on to our next segment which we simply call chuffed headlines Uh, We scour the internet for a movie or pop culture headline or news that caught our attention for any reason whatsoever. And we divulge it live on air now. So JB, what headline have you gone for this week? Well, by coincidence, I'll be talking about this a little more in um, our uh, media consumption, but I watched Candyman um, from 1992 uh, recently. I I thought I'd seen it and it turns out I'd seen number three only. Uh, I oh, never saw the first one, or at least I never watched it in its entirety, or I have forgotten it. Either one, whatever the I'm circumstance. Sure you said that the other day, because I watched, I rewatched Candyman, because I've seen it many times. Um, I rewatched it about a month ago, and I'm sure I mentioned it on the show about a month ago, and I'm sure I remember you yeah. saying that you hadn't seen it, and I was oh. flabbergasted. I see, I thought I had. I definitely, I saw the third one <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> you seen A Candyman? Um, and I thought I, I assumed I wouldn't go to the third movie without having seen it, but apparently not. But I watched it this weekend. Um, and I, I was, I, I get really sucked into lore. And so I ended up like reading about the, like all like number two and three, which two really seems to be where they establish his story a little bit more. Um, and so I was like, I got kind of into the whole thing. And then, um, I noticed, uh, one that uh, the second movie is directed by, um, I'm going to forget right now, but he directed the last two Twilight movies and it's not coming to me. What is his name? Nope, I can't think, but um, it's, a, it's a British guy, I think. Um, come on, you're gonna you can remember as I'm sitting here, also furiously uh, I'm like searching it up because I'm researching my now. Um, 
I'll be able to tell you in three seconds. It okay. was three, two, one. Bill Condon. Bill Condon. Uh, you know, it. interesting director. But yeah. that made me go, like, I wasn't super familiar with the first Candyman's director, which is uh, Bernard Rose. So I'm like, okay, wait, let me take a look at this guy. Oh, it's a white guy. And then I'm like, oh, Bill Condon's a white guy. And then the third movie is also, I believe, a white guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this movie is clearly meant to be told from a black perspective because it's it's about that community in the film like it, it yep. like there's a lot of interpretations that put the first game in about gentrification in a lot of ways and i'm not the best at reading horror that way i kind of take horror on its surface more often than i should initially and i have to like really think about it because i'm just enjoying the the horror experience i'm not really yep. thinking about the subtext and which shame on me for that, but uh, it does for me. Horror hits differently um, initially. Like I don't think of horror that way right away, and at least not all the time. Sometimes it's much more obvious. Um, but I so scrolling through the headlines, I see a headline because Jordan Peele, executive executive producer on the new Candyman, yep. and also um, a writer on it, and the headline is Jordan Peele believes Candyman needs to be told from a black perspective, and I'm like. Yes, exactly. I uh, what a shock! Jordan Peele is brilliant and has the same. I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I'm no Jordan Peele by any means. I'm just saying <laughs> what a shock that here it is. And so, in this interview, uh, Candyman is a patron saint of the urban legend. Said Peele in the clip, "We didn't have a Black Freddy. We didn't have a Black Jason. It felt important this Candyman be told from a black perspective." Uh, DaCosta, who's the director, Nia DaCosta for the new Candyman, yeah. added for us. Candyman was some demon, ghost, man killing people in the projects. Candyman is so perennial. We're talking about the cycles of violence and how history repeats itself. Now, listeners, I, I teach film, and this is something I have students of all race, all age, all eth- ethnicity. Just the goal I have with my students is I want them to tell their story. And the analogy that I've been kind of working on in my head, and I'm going to piecemeal it out here is imagine that you have a older brother or sister and at a party you overhear your brother or sister telling your story as though it's their own. You would probably be furious that they Mm -hmm. are stealing your story that belongs to you and that you should get to tell because you're the one who went through the thing. And that's what we mean when we say representation is that it is, if the story involves black people being oppressed or being manipulated, then it should be the story to be told by a black filmmaker who can actually relate and connect to the experience on a one for one. Granted, there might be a white filmmaker who could relate, but not a one for one because they've never experienced that specific injustice. They can't, it's not possible. So, and it's not to say a white person can't tell a story but it is to say maybe you're not the best person to do it spielberg has come out and said that very thing about his directing the color purple that maybe he wasn't the right filmmaker to tell that story it doesn't make it a bad movie but imagine how it could have been if someone who was behind its process could have actually told that story and that's what we mean with representation and that's what peel is talking about it's like this this monster, this movie monster is representative of black culture and has only been told through a white lens. And it should be told from a black filmmaker, which on a side note, I didn't know this until I watched Candyman this weekend. The new one isn't a reboot. It is like Halloween 2018. It is a sequel only to the first film. That's it. And that's That's really cool. So I'm, I'm so hyped. We're going to be covering that in two weeks, folks. So get ready for our Candyman review. Um, but yeah, that's. I thought that was a really interesting article. I'm a big Jordan Peele fan in general. I think he's brilliant. I can't wait for his next movie, which is um, is it? Nope, nope. That's what it's called. I knew it was nope. something with an N, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, well, is it nobody? No, it's nope. Just uh, simply nope. nope. I'm so hyped. I can't wait. Uh, Us freaked me out so much, Dumb. and then I love Get Out. Uh, Get Out's just phenomenal. So super, super pumped uh, for this take on Candyman. I hope it holds up. I hope it's. Uh, in fact. I kind of hope it's a little better. I like Candyman, but I think there's some real problems with it as a general like movie. I think there's some movie problems. Um, I love Tony Todd as Candyman. Though. I think he's just amazing, dude. Um, but there's there's some there's some cheesy 
like early nineties horror stuff in that movie that are like, ah, you could have done better. Also, I do feel like the storytelling is a little choppy and it, it is only better because the second movie clarifies his, his legend a little bit. Cause I feel like the legend in the first movie is real, like all over the place. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just <laughs> need to rewatch it a second no, time. No, but, uh, but uh, what is, what is, what are your thoughts? It sounded like you were like, yes manning everything i said so i I assume you're on the same page with uh take of course dude uh with the i mean candy man itself which i I like the uh, the the original candy man again i i i I don't think it's one of the greatest horror films ever but i i think it's really very good but i also acknowledge from watching it about a month ago that parts don't hold up um but it's but what i like about it is it isn't just it isn't full on horror horror as we know it's not yes it's it's slower it's more patient it's um manipulative horror in terms of what tony todd's character uh does to or in the mind of virginia madsen's characters a lot there and tony todd is great that voice man tony todd's voice he's an absolute stud of a man that voice and i'm very 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 much looking forward to near the cost as candy man i'm pumped for the sequel um, for part of the reasons why you've just said, firstly, Nia DaCosta, I think, is a uh, very good director. I've seen uh, uh, Little Woods with Tessa Thompson. That's a oh, and Lily yeah. great film. I really saw that at uh, Tribeca. I that's very a much heavy like film, that. heavy film. Yes. But she directs the hell out of that. She's also doing the Marvels in a couple of years' time. Uh, so she's also uh, taking the plunge into uh, the MCU. But I'm looking forward to her take for exactly the reasons you've just said. Candyman, when it came out, was a, a big deal. It was a big step forward for black representation in 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 the in the genre, certainly, of course, in film, but obviously in the horror genre. Night of the Living Dead, Candyman, and then now Get Out, and what everything Jordan Peele's doing. Um, so it was a big it was a big step forward in the right direction. But what Jordan Peele was saying is is spot on because like and everything you've just said. I'm not going to repeat everything you said, but there's nothing to say that. A, a a white person or or can can not take the, of this story and tell it well, imbue it with everything it needs to be imbued with. But like you, sometimes even if it's a, a tragic kind of backstory or like a bad, horrible thing to think about, if you've lived the experience, you can pour that into your work uh, and on the end of it, make something which is a step up from what another director who hasn't been through that. Uh, through that their entire life can offer so uh, and again given the given the racial politics of the of the first film and well, especially the first film and what and what the trailers are saying is going to be in this sequel soft reboot slash sequel then i think jordan peele's absolutely right and i don't think he's wrong whatsoever from saying that and i don't think i don't i hope nobody's taking it as an inflammatory statement because i think he's just simply telling the truth i think generally think he's you know he's he's mm-hmm he's a man in a position to be able to say that and Nia da Costa is also let's not let's not forget a very very talented director so we're going it's going to be told from the correct perspective perspective if I should say so but also in the hands of a very capable producer or filmmaker in Jordan Peele but a really exciting up-and-coming director in Nia da Costa plus the cast the IR lead in the film we've got a hell of a cast Dude, I'm so looking forward to the Candyman sequel. And I have been for well since it was announced. I was bummed when it was dropped from last year's schedule for this year. But two weeks time, bro. I just hope it's a good film. It could also end up being rubbish, but um, I hope it's a good film. But I do, be- I do agree with uh, what Jordan Peele's saying, man. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait two weeks, guys. We're we're both pumped for that one. Again, that could be a bad thing. It's not always good yeah. to go in excited because that's where disappointment can happen. Where like free guy, I think you went in with almost no expectations. I went in with yeah. minimal. I'm like, I like Ryan Reynolds. Good enough for me. And uh, it, it definitely way over exceeded my expectations in that regard. So hopefully Candyman can live up to our hype. Um, but we'll see. Uh, but we will, you know, definitely worth talking about. Yep. So uh, nice one, my man. My uh, one comes from Screen Rant and it was written by the very capable hands of Stephen M. Colbert, not that Stephen Colbert, or maybe. Um, uh, and it's uh, James Gunn. He says, uh, the headline is, why James Gunn is right about theatres versus streaming and TV in brackets. Uh, James Gunn says people seeing movies primarily on streaming won't impact their legacy. Since it's always been TV, that makes movies last. 
Is he right? Uh, Stephen Colbert says he is. Um, and I read this article again, really good article. And I'd seen this going around online in the last week or so. Uh, and James Gunn specifically mentioned in Jaws, uh, he says uh, a lot of people uh, and filmmakers, very respected filmmakers, uh, are saying, you know, films that come out on streaming leave no legacy. There's no footprint for them. They come and they go and they're forgotten about. But what James Gunn was saying was, you know, I, 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 a paraphrase he said i saw jaws for the first time i've only ever seen jaws on television i've never seen it in the cinema but that hasn't that doesn't mean it's not one of the best films i've ever seen simply because i saw it on tv um Same. and i in in that example i don't disagree with that uh the, the diff the only difference is obviously jaws came with the fact that it was lauded as a fa- fantastic film from when it came out um the article goes on to mention things like the tomorrow more uh, war and army of the dead and how you know whether or not they're going to be viewed in a positive light because they were released on streaming and you don't get the whole uh experience of the cinema so the the clarity the sound everything blah blah so that is where that's what a lot of the critics are coming from but um i thought it was an interesting article because we spend most of our weeks talking about streaming and theatrical now because mm-hmm. the pandemic and covid life has thrust us into that world but um i do believe i do agree i want to say 80 percent, maybe 90 percent of what james gunn says because i think he's right a lot of a lot of times films i've seen growing up were on tv a lot of the sure, films w- i know with commercials with commercials, yes. It wasn't even the full-on experience. I had to wait yeah. every half an hour or whatever. So uh, so I agree on that sense. I'm looking at my collection now. And some of these films, I, uh, Alien, I saw that as a kid. I love Alien. Never never I mean, seen it in the theatres, though. But I have. You're a lucky um, man. But I knew I that can't... Alien came with the legacy. So I, I, I right. already knew that going in. It's, I think where I think the argument falls down somewhat is, and, you know, the, the Tomorrow War, you know, it's fine. But that doesn't have the the backing, the groundswell of support from film fans worldwide saying this is epic, this is one of the best films ever made, or one of the best action films of the last decade. But that one will come and go because it's a forgettable film. I think if, if it, there will be, there have been huge films released on streaming. Some have gone on to do good things, others haven't. But um, we we didn't like Roma, for example, on Netflix, or we didn't, you know, it didn't work for us. But let me rephrase. We didn't love that. it like like the so many others did. Exactly. <laughs> but it's it's on Criterion now. People still um, uh, hold that up as one of the best films, almost beautiful films of the last decade. So, you well, know, that's similar Marriage Story, which yeah, Marriage Story debuted on Criterion Netflix. Now it's on Criterion. Um, uh, there's a couple of other ones that I think have done that. Irishman. Uh, was Netflix original is on yeah, yeah. criteria. Yeah, it all comes to, for me, it all comes down to the film, dude. I've, uh, of course I want to see a film at a theater, but I mean, I, uh, I'm not going to go to the cinema and watch alien and think, well, now this is even, this is, this film's even better. Now I've seen it at the theater. It will be the same film. just on a bigger screen. Now I'm so the counter. The counter is also true though, right? There's been plenty of theatrical releases that have been forgotten. Of course. So, just a movie being in theaters does not make it a, you know, I think that's his point is the cream rises. Right? Yeah, exactly, We're going yeah. to always end up lauding and, and rewarding the, the, the art that's worth rewarding. Um, sometimes we do find gems, right? Like those are the cult classics. Like Scott Pilgrim came out, did horrible. Now it's one of the most beloved movies 10 years later by so many people. Yeah. And a lot of people found it on HBO before, you know, streaming was the default. And now a lot of like a lot of my students come in loving Scott Pilgrim. When I, when I started teaching film, none of my students knew it. Now it's been on Netflix for about two years. All of them know it. And it's yeah. on their list of favorite movies. They're always so thrilled when it's on my list of my top five favorite movies. Um, I think Gunn is completely right here. And I think this is, I, my fear isn't that the movies themselves will go away. It's that the theatrical experience yeah. will go away because so, I like to go to the theater, but I think there's always going to be room for movies. I, I think there's a, the, to me, the bigger threat is the quality of TV is yeah. that TV has gotten so cinematic that a lot of people and think of like, we were just talking about a sequel. Free guy did well immediately where they're talking about a sequel because people want to see the characters they like again and again and again and again and again. That's why so many TV shows have lasted too long, right? Where they exceed 
they're welcome and they become bad. And that's yep. where the expression jump the shark comes in. Hello, walking We've, dead. Yeah, right. Walking dead is way <laughs> past its expiration date. And the, I mean, the Simpsons, the, yes. the Simpsons should have ended after the movie and they have, they pushed themselves to the point where most people have stopped watching yeah. because it's just too much. So, and South Park just signed, Matt and Trey just signed like a 10 year Jeez. deal where they're supposed to make like 14 movies 15, and 14 uh, films. Yeah, man. Yeah, like they've only done one South Park movie and suddenly there's going to be 14 of them. Like that's insane. And again, I like South Park. I think Matt and Trey are geniuses and I don't fault them for signing that contract. Why wouldn't you? Money, 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 man. So much. They're set for the rest of their lives. They don't have to ever do anything else. They're good. I don't blame them. I don't. I can't imagine 14 South Park movies are going to be good. That's a lot. Yeah, I can't imagine 14 are actually ever going to be made. Right. Yeah. Like it's James Cameron's five avatar movies that one has been made. So the, the point is Gunn is, is smart and he's, he's a realist. That's all he's doing. He's pointing out the facts. We like to overhype stuff. Theaters are dying, but they're not dying because movies are dying. They're dying because people don't have to go. And they're expensive. The they were never nailed it. Yeah, they were never meant to be for everybody, and that's the problem. Is they aren't for everybody. The dollar theaters that used to exist were for everybody. You know, you could go to the local dollar theater, but almost all of those are gone now. I don't. I have. I, I think the closest affordable theater is like two hours away, almost. Or our drive-in. We have a drive-in in our county, and you. I don't know if the price has gone up. It used to be four bucks per person, but you got to see two movies for that, that price, the concessions were moderately priced. Um, and now it's like, if you're not willing to shell out the 20 bucks a month, like we are for the unlimited experience, mm-hmm. it's too expensive. It's $10 in our small, low budget area. But if you live in New York or LA, you're paying 20 bucks a ticket for most movies. And then they, their popcorn and soda is more because you're in a higher dollar market. So you're, you're dropping for one person to go to the movie, probably 50 bucks. Or $30 at home. For the full experience, yeah. Yeah, so, sure. Right now, that's the. I think what we will see is if theaters want to survive, we're going to see a shift to the luxury experience. You're going to have a more, you know, everything has to be catered now. Like, you need, like, there's the, the one theaters that have, like, the little seating areas, like a private seating area, essentially. I can't remember what they're called, but they exist in a few markets. You have the Alamo Draft House, where it's more of, like, a dine-in experience, which yeah, is yeah. really cool. I love that's the Alamo Draft here. Houses. Um, I think we're going to see a bigger shift to that. Um, so the people like us who want to go to the theater are going to, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be an outing. It's going to be an experience versus it just being a place to see the entertainment because you can see the entertainment anytime. And again, like guns pointing out, we've done that for years. TBS is a network because of rerun movies, right? Like that's where you caught a lot of the the B-grade action films that you didn't want to pay 10 bucks for, you catch them on TBS with commercials and you you know, they rerun it the whole weekend. You can watch it four times in 3 days and if it's good, people talk about it and it it becomes something. And if it's not good, it just fades into uh mediocrity and that's what happens. There's a lot of movies made every year. Far more movies are made every year than most people know exist. Dude, you're not wrong. And a lot of those are on streaming, but um, yeah. There's a certain type of filmmaker who has these kind of issues, though. Um, we're, we're all both looking forward to Dune, but recently, in the last few hours, uh, Denis Villeneuve came out and said, um, you know, the idea that Dune is debuting on HBO Max. He said, uh, the enemy of cinema is the pandemic. I understand that the cinema industry is under tremendous pressure. That I get. The way it happened, I'm still not happy. Frankly, to watch Dune on a TV is like driving a speedboat in a bathtub so uh Denis Villeneuve is a uh he's a, he's he's one of those filmmakers along the lines of Nolan but Nolan yeah look at look at something like Blade Runner 2049 Denis didn't do well at theater in theaters it, it, you know it, it made some money it didn't do well it was, a, it, was it is a big bomb however yeah on home on home video dvd blu-ray uh, rentals it's got an audience it's got those sales in thanks to people being able to sit at home and watch it. The people, the people who didn't go to the theater have found it on TV and they're enjoying it and they're, and they're embracing it. So whilst I get what you're saying about the scope of that film, Mm -hmm. it is a bit, I I do think it's negative, degrading, derogatory to say, I don't want my film coming out on streaming or TV. It's, you know, it's a pandemic. Do 
but yeah. you know there's come on you know use your head i will say though um in not so much in his defense but uh, you kind of did the same thing but the idea that some some filmmakers are making movies for the the presentation like they're aware mm-hmm. of the sound and they they know what sound a theater has and they are designing it for that they know what the ratio of the screen that they're going to play on which is why to really enjoy a Nolan film in its full capacity, you need an IMAX theater, a real yeah. true IMAX, not the fake IMAX theaters that there's far too many of, but the true <laughs> full experience because Nolan designs his film for that. Most yep. filmmakers don't go that route. Most filmmakers are not designing it for, for the big screen. They're designing it on a big screen, which in the nineties, and we didn't talk about this, but all those movies that we watched on TV in the nineties were missing the edges because we were on a four, three television screen <laughs> yeah. and they were, we, we used to get that message. The screen has been cut to fit your TV. I never knew what that meant as a kid. I didn't I understand the difference, but yeah, now I totally do. But all of our TVs now are widescreen. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the aspect ratio is actually what the, the film intended with the exception of IMAX movies, because again, those go really tall and your TV doesn't have the capability. Some movies will adjust that. I know that the Tenet digital copy, which is what I bought, doesn't have the IMAX scenes. But if you bought the Blu-ray, I think especially the 4K, the aspect ratio does change to, to fit the IMAX ratio. And I was really mad about that because I would have bought the Blu-ray had I known that. Um, I bought the digital because it was available like a week early and I just desperately wanted to see Tenet and didn't trust going to the theater at that time. And also my local theater was still closed. But... I was so mad when I found that out. So again, like, but that's, that made me feel like the old school. I watched Tenet with the cut aspect ratio to match my screen size. Bummer. But for the most part, most movies are going to fit exactly the same on your TV that they would on the big screen. So it's not the same problem that we used to have. And no one complained about that. Then we didn't understand the difference. We, people used to buy the widescreen, I'm sorry, the full screen editions of DVDs because we didn't want the black bars, not understanding that the black bars were important because that's called letterboxing. Mm-hmm. And it was part of the process that the filmmaker went through. We didn't know that. We just wanted to see, we didn't want to see part of our screen not being used. I see, it man. felt like it was a waste of screen, but now we know better. Or at least yeah. I do. I, we're, <laughs> we're learned now. And, I, and that I understand. Nolan and Villeneuve and all yeah. these other people make their films for the big screen. I, I get that. I just find a slightly elitist, snobby oh, I agree. way of Completely saying agree it. With like, you. In this, he goes on to say, you know, the enemy of cinema is the pandemic and then goes on to say that, well, if, <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't be watching it at home in the pandemic, yeah. which has caused, which is the reason why that film is primary reason why that film is also day and date on hbo max i think it's uh, i'm not going to come out and put a disney and say you know scarlett johansson you're silly for the blah blah because she's in the right there i just don't yeah. you know i don't i think sometimes you just got to be careful with with your words and for the reasons you said as sure. well cinema's expensive man you want to go and watch do in the way it's pre- meant to be presented in imax you put in a ten dollar surcharge you put in a beer t- five pounds seven pounds surcharge on top of your ticket already to go and watch that you want to take a family to go and see that astronomical prices probably the same amount it costs to make the film for me to go and take three other people to watch the damn thing in imax so um whilst i i understand and i sympathize empathize sorry um i i don't think there's an issue i think james gunn is for the most part right here most of my favorite films uh, i've seen via home media somehow so um that was our chuffed headlines little section we always have fun diving into there so we're now going to move on to media consumption where we talk about everything that we've been uh, consuming in the last week. So films, TV, any video games, music, podcasts, which aren't, aren't ours, sorry, uh, comics, music, whatever that may be. Whatever we've done to pass the time since the last episode. And John has always got a fabulous smorgasbord of a selection. So, JB, hit me. So, Blank Check Podcast, we're on week two yep. of the uh, John Carpenter um, series so assault on precinct 13 which i really enjoyed when i watched but i didn't even make this connection but it's very much a, a zombie movie it's very much his night of the living dead yeah and that blew my mind when when they pointed that out on the podcast i was like oh my god i can't believe i didn't see that but a hundred percent it's a zombie movie um without zombies but it's very much and the the gangsters as carpenter noted intentionally are supposed to be like zombies or vampires or something like they're clearly not human in a in a metaphorical way and um I, it's a really good episode of the show uh has the director um from last year's black christmas or the year before the the remake 
the recent remake of Black Christmas, which I actually really liked and was surprised by. Um, she's the guest on the episode, and she's terrific. I don't remember her name, but she was really, really good. Like her on the show. Um, movie. Uh, I'll start with TV. I did. I watched. I finished Dave season mm-hmm. two. Uh, the finale was on last week. If you haven't watched Dave, I can't stress enough. It is uncomfortably awkward at times because mm-hmm. they they do some very sexual stuff, but it is so so funny and so brilliant. And just please watch both seasons. It's so good. Um, and then I watched uh, the movies that made us the Pretty Woman episode. I've now watched two of the I think four new episodes. Um, they're not great, to be honest. Like, the, <laughs> okay, good. I, I, they, they give you a lot of information, but they do this kind of obnoxious voiceover where he's sometimes snarky and like makes mm. fun of the movies. And I'm like, dude, shut up! I, like, I, <laughs> I genuinely want to know all of these stories behind the stuff. The, the, this season, season two, really. I knew way too much about back to the future for that one where it felt, I, I think I mentioned this on the episode where it just was like, I already know all this. So it just feels like redundant to me because other things have already covered it. Pretty woman. I didn't know all the stuff and yet it still felt redundant. And I think it's just the way it's presented. I, I feel like they stretch it out for too long. I think these could be maybe 25 minute episodes and it would be sufficient. Cause I think they just re- rehash some of the same information in different ways. And then again, the voiceover just being kind of snarky. I'm just like, you know what? I actually like this stuff. Calm down, guy. But um, I watched the movies this week, though, man. Uh, one, The Paper Tigers, which just dropped on Netflix here in the yeah. States. I don't know for sure there. But uh, Big Tuna had met, met, like recommended this movie for me weeks ago. Um, the way I see it, the best way to describe it is like we grew up watching movies like The Karate Kid and Surf Ninjas and Three Ninjas and all of those movies, right? Like these kung fu, karate-inspired uh, Hollywood kind of movies. And... Now imagine if we were making those movies, like a throwback movie to that, but as dads, like we're dads, but we're like putting ourselves into one of those type of movies almost. It's not that meta, but that's kind of the vibe is like these guys were kid martial artists in the time period of like the late eighties, early nineties. And now they're dads and they're having to try to like, remember what it was to be a martial artist and uh, fight for something that matters. And it's it's really good. I enjoyed it very much. Very dad martial art movie. It's awesome. Nice. Um, I watched Pig. Oh, yeah. Uh, I bought it uh, on Vudu. Uh, I had a 30% uh, coupon, so I got it for 10 bucks, um, which is great because I would have had to drive really far to see it. Um, and everyone's raving about Pig and, and how great Nicolas Cage is. And he is great in this movie. It's one of those times where he's it's a very serious Nick Cage movie. But Alex Wolf is in it. And I don't, I just feel like we're sleeping on that, that kid, man. He is terrific in like so many things mm-hmm. like hereditary. He's old is weird, but he's really good and old yeah. and he's great in pig. I thought he was tremendous. Um, he gets to do a little bit more actually both him and Nick cage. It's a very subtle movie for both, for like both, especially like compared to some of the cages, more recent films. He's been a bit on the extreme side, right? Like this is a much more subtle, quiet movie. It's very, very good. Um, I mean, I'm excited to watch this film just because of all the buzz I've heard about it. Yeah, it's got so much buzz. It's so it's so hard to not talk about it. Um, <laughs> I already mentioned I, I watched Candyman 1992. Interesting yep. story. Sunday afternoon. I'm a little tired. Um, I I Scream is on. Uh, Scream Two is on like Pluto TV, mm-hmm. and I throw Scream Two. I haven't seen Scream Two probably since it was in theaters, and. I was uh, like five minutes in. I was like, man, this is real bad. Like I, I, (laughs) I, it, it feels like they got the tone wrong. Like the first movie is so like, there's humor in the first movie, but it doesn't feel like it's like making fun of itself. And two feels like it's scary, man. It's creepy. Yeah. The second movie feels like it's making fun of itself. Like, ah, you idiots, you fell for it. And that's on on the kind of metamus. That's all. Yeah. um, and so I, that's what made me put Candyman on. So I threw Candyman on thinking I'd seen it before. And I was like, I'm going to throw Candyman on something. I want to, I want to watch it before the sequel. I end up falling asleep, not because of, I, I'm trying to take a nap and I put on Candyman just to show how broken my brain has gotten folks. I put on a scary movie to fall asleep. I've made fun of Matt for rewatching exorcist now for a while before i put on <laughs> yeah i put on a horror movie to take a nap um yes. i went back and rewatched it after i woke up because uh, i was like i was interested in it again i wasn't it's not a criticism to the film i was trying to sleep and i put it on knowing that i was like because again i thought i'd seen it i realized halfway through of me trying to sleep that i'm like i don't think i've seen this like i need to actually watch the story this. <laughs> um 
but so I did go back and like, I, I rewound and watched it from where I'd fallen asleep uh, later that night. But um, so I watched that. I rewatched hearts beat loud for like the sixth time. I, I love that movie so, so much. Um, uh, I caught uh, for, for movie club, uh, which is, is going to be on Friday recording. We were, we're watching um, Amy Poehler's movie Moxie, which is on Netflix. Okay. Um, I really like this movie. I feel like no one's talking about it. It's been out since like, I think uh, March or I haven't seen like this one. Um, I'm a big Amy Poehler fan. It's she's in it, but she's not the lead. Uh, it's, it's very high school oriented. She's the mom of the main character. And um, it's very much like feminist, like, uh, you know, stand up for yourself type movie. And I, that just really clicked for me. Um, it's not perfect. There's some things that don't quite work and feel a little contrived, but overall I, I enjoyed it. I was very like, yes, yes, yes. I like what this movie's doing. I like the commentary. I like the things that it's saying. Um, so not perfect, but very watchable. I definitely recommend. And then, um, I caught, uh, this weekend with uh, my cousin, we actually saw, uh, free guy and, uh, respect together. We, but yeah. we saw respect. Um, so I like respect, but it's definitely got some flaws. And most importantly, uh, there's one performance. It, it, it's her like third husband or second husband in the movie. Like, um, he, man, have you have you seen Walk Hard, the the Dewey Cox story? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure this guy is doing a Tim Meadows impression from that movie because there's like mm. some of the delivery of he gets some important lines he has to deliver, like some major moments in history. He is the one who says it to the characters, like we know what's happened. He says the thing out loud, and it sounds like Tim Meadows telling Dewey not to do drugs. <laughs> like it's like that level of like, no, Dewey, don't. And you're like, oh, I'm like, no. Oh, so it's ironic that Dewey Cox, which is at least 10 years ago, at least, it might be 12. Uh, at least um, a decade. Uh, it was mocking the the musical biopic, and it feels in some ways like Respect watched it and thought this was like the blueprint for the musical biopic. Because there's some elements where you're like, ooh, man, Dewey Cox was like so spot on with its commentary about the, the issues of musical biopics. Because it's definitely got some of the tropes and some of those elements don't quite work. But... Jennifer Hudson's terrific in mm-hmm. it. I, I feel like we're, she's one really well-written movie away from being the megastar that she's clearly got the talent for. Yeah. And she just keeps getting, like, like Cats. She's the best part of Cats. Jesus. But Cats is terrible, so it doesn't matter, right? Like, that sh- her song is amazing. Her version of uh, Memories is amazing. But I'm never going to watch that movie for that song, because nope. the movie's not good. And, uh, I, I haven't seen. Uh, she's in Dreamgirls, right? Or um, she, yeah, she is in Dreamgirls. She won the Academy Award for Dreamgirls. Yeah, I haven't seen Dreamgirls, so that's probably the great performance, and obviously yes, the award. But I feel like most of the time she's not getting the rec- that that star power that we talk about with someone who's won an Oscar. Yeah, she's great in respect. I don't think the movie is great. I think it's fine. I think it does it does a lot of the tropey stuff that you expect from a biopic. Um, I am not as familiar with Aretha Franklin's life. There were moments that were really troubling to me. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not those they're as far as I know, those are true moments, but like, even the way it was presented, I, I, I don't know if people were watching me or not, but I was like waving my hands and like, no, no, no. Um, Cause, and again, real stuff, but I'm just like, Oh no, I don't want, I don't want this at all. I had no idea. I was going to have to like this level of anxiety from this. Um, but uh, her, her singing is, Hudson is amazing. It's great. Um, and I was a little surprised at its ending point and not a spoiler, but it, it, uh, the amazing grace documentary. Um, I yeah. saw in, uh, at, at a local film festival, the Gasparilla international film festival two years ago. Um, and that was really my first like encounter with Aretha outside of just hearing her sing. And, um, I didn't appreciate the documentary as much as I do now after seeing respect, but um, I was surprised that that documentary has a major moment in this, this life story of, of Aretha. And it is, it's one of those biopics where we're getting from like beginning to end almost kind of thing. You know, it's not, it's not just a small section of her life. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, when she's a a kid, she was singing and like, here's we're going to go through many, many years of her as a child before we get to, you know, her adult life. Um, But yeah, uh, that's what I've been watching. What about you, Buck? Well, she's, she ain't called the Queen of Soul for nothing. Aretha's got the best, for me, the best female vocalist of all time. So, she's um, real good. Yeah. Uh, oh, damn. So Jennifer Hudson's got, she's got power, but 
this is Aretha we're talking about. So uh, I'm glad to hear that it wasn't a complete bust because um, I, I'm a big fan of Aretha Franklin. Um, so I'm glad to hear that. I can go into that at least with um, one eye open and enjoy it. So um, for me, this week, I have been listening to a couple of podcasts, which is very unlike me. Um, I've been <laughs> listening to my buddy Pato from Down Under on the Oz Movie Geek podcast. Um, I had him on my show a couple of months ago, or maybe like a year ago now. Um, and I like I like uh, Pato, Chris Patterson. He's on Instagram, Oz Movie Geek. Uh, very knowledgeable, very well-spoken, very eloquent um film reviewer from down under so go check that out and i've also been listening to the rotten tomatoes is wrong podcast um shout out oh. represent gangsters all across the world to rt um and it's uh, basically it's as the title would say many people live in a world we live in a society where people still think rotten tomatoes allocates a percentage score to a film not realizing it's an aggregate score based on the critics who post their reviews and their scores on there, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a play on that title. But they they take films which have a a rotten rating or at least a very low, fresh rating, and they ask, you know, and, and the question, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about. So I listened to Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about The Notebook, Alita Battle Angel, and Godzilla King of the Monsters. The, uh, King of the Monsters, the first one I listened to, because I was desperately hoping someone could change my mind about that film, yet they haven't managed to do that. But it's an interesting about, about an hour long. It's always a good conversation. Uh, Mark Ellis hosts it, and I only came across it in the oh. last day or so. I've seen it like, advertised, obviously, just on uh, social media and that, but I, haven't, I just never really thought about it. But I checked it out this week, and I thought, no, it's pretty good. In an hour, nice bite-sized um, episodes. There's only about 20 or so. Um, and as JB will testify, there's something quite warm and cosy about finding a show enjoying it and then thinking oh sweet i've got i've got a whole back catalogue to go through um and by the time i get through the back catalogue there'll probably be two three four more episodes new a new episode for me to dive into so uh, i've been enjoying that on my lunch break at work um in terms of films not too many a strange selection of films this week uh, i watched jumper the um anakin skywalker mace windu and um, Billy Elliot led film Hayden Christensen, Sam Jackson, Jamie Bell, Rachel Bilson, sort of two thousand and seven eight sci fi action film. I watched that because it was um, on. And hey, I don't mind that film. It's not brilliant. It's not great. But um, I'm going to speak about it more this week of that film. But uh, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's a massive missed opportunity. Um, but you know, it's it's a perfectly servable serviceable like mid to late naughty sci-fi action flick uh i watched the shining the stanley kubrick version of course the classic kubrick version of the shining going to be talking about that as well this week uh over on the back row um i i love the shining i really like it and every time i watch it i notice new things about it this this time i noticed the music more um not that i no, not not the obvious the ominous theme but there was more of a kind of almost like a synth kind of backed score to some of the scenes, which I'd never really noticed before. Um, and also noticed how, how good the little lad who played Danny Lloyd was in certain scenes. Um, mm. Really good child performance, which you don't often get. Uh, and uh, I picked up William Friedkin's cruising this week. Um, I put it on socials. I found it out in the wild. It cost me, uh, I didn't cost that much. It's about, 12 bucks maybe 10 tenner it's the arrow videos one so it's um it's a blu-ray fully fully restored fully remastered it's a new uh transfer with a whole whole shed load of extras and documentaries and commentaries and behind the scenes uh new ones as well from billy friedkin um so if anyway i'm not going to talk have you seen cruising first i have not no no not familiar um, with it. no sean uh I shan't spoil it as we don't do anyway, but I like cruising when it came out as if most people know it was highly divisive because of its, um, because of its, uh, it shines a spotlight on the S and M joints of, of New York and the gay bars, which in the mid eighties, this is taboo stuff. This is, you know, this isn't something that you'd see on the big screen. Certainly not, um, as, uh, as open as cruising makes it Al Pacino, young Al Pacino stars and say young, but Al Pacino stars and he's, very decent i like cruising it's had a bit of a um uh retrospective kind of uh what's that word 
repri- repri- reappraisal. People seem to are watching it now mm. with kind of modern eyes and thinking, hey, look, it's still not the perfect film, but it's a lot better than we remember it being. And now with a lot of the controversy kind of dusted off, it's still like a fairly dark film considering when it was made. But you can look at it now in a more accepting society, says half telling the truth um, and take it for as the really decent, bold film that it was. It's a freaking film. It's always going to be bold. You know, I like freaking films. They're not always the best films, but they're always bold. He's always aiming for something. So um, cruising was very good. And I've car- and I'm also still watching the uh, anime uh, or manga. I get mixed up, which is what it, what it is. Uh, Berserk. I'm a few more episodes into that now. And I'm really enjoying that. And I'm, that's on uh, YouTube. I'm watching that. It's made of mm. all the episodes are on YouTube. So I'm uh, checking that out. So fairly mixed week this week in terms of uh, watching stuff, but that hasn't dulled my enthusiasm. Uh, as you know, to make this show, we have to maintain a certain level of bloody awesomeness, which means during the week we have to uh, participate in activities or give ourselves time to do something to stay bloody awesome. So JB, what have you been doing this week? That's bloody awesome. I've written the words back in session um, as last week was my first week back to work, but this week is really the first week of getting to teach movies. And, um, I, I always alter my approach a little bit. I try to, to I try to also gear towards the group of students that I have, but I also, um, I, I have over the years refined my approach to education. What I think is like purposeful, what the meaning is and the, the, what I want to instill in my students, because not all of them want to be filmmakers or film mm-hmm. critics. Some of them are just taking this because there's a graduation requirement with uh, performing arts, which counts as my class and things like that. But I want them to have a love of, of learning and exploring, right? This, this yeah. goal to like ask questions and then seek the answers, find them, go look for it. And uh, so I, I'm always adjusting my approach with that in mind. Like, how do I get them on board? How do I get them to want to learn? And um, it's, it's not easy, right? Like if we knew that school would be an easy fix, like we would all just have this key and like, this is how you do it. And there's not one way to do it. But I think, um, I make progress with most of my students. I definitely miss some. I try not to, but there's definitely some who buy into me a lot more than others. And, uh, this week has been really great. I have seen a lot of progress right away. Um, started today with my film one and film two. Those are my year, uh, two and year three. Cause they start with this class called visual tech. Then if they stay with me, they go film one, film two, film three, and then they graduate film one and film two. We started actually uh, movies today. And I started with the peanut butter Falcon for uh, film one. Nice. Maybe I bought you. Yes. Um, first time I'm teaching it. And uh, we started real slow. We only, we're only watching 15. We watched 15 minutes today. We had, there was buildup and stuff before we got to the, the start of it. But um, just that, that 15 minutes and like the introduction to like visual storytelling and stuff, we were, we were doing that and um, it was really good, like feedback. And then uh, film two I've had for two years already. And I realized I had not taught them a single Hitchcock movie. And so we started Vertigo today and that's been great. Like going through Vertigo. I haven't watched Vertigo in a couple of years. So it's been great to like dive back into it. And, um, you know, Hitchcock, if anything, I, I, I become more and more of a fan as I've watched more and more of his movies. And I just bought one of those with my gift from Matt. Um, and I haven't watched it yet, but it's on the list. It's going to get watched. Um, so yeah, I've just been really like cracking down and, and reevaluating what movies I teach and, and how I teach them. And, um, you know, I've had I've had a pretty good week uh, with that so far, so I'm looking forward to continuing and building on on that momentum. But what about well, you, Matt? How are you staying? Oh, no, see, I wasn't sure if you were going to ask a question. I was trying. No, to no, I was just um, I was admiring what you were saying, and it's just nice to hear that after the uh, the rigmarole that was last week of getting back in back back on the horse, that it's been slightly uh, less taxing this week, which is good to hear, my friend. Plus, some good films to start the year off as well. Um, Big time. For me, uh, I'm going for leisure or leisure time for uh, for you Americans. Leisure, that's how I've heard they say it. Leisure time. Um, took some time off last week because it's the summer holidays, summer break over here for the kids. So uh, to spend some time with the Padawan, and we went. Uh, we had a great time. We went. We did some crazy golf. Um, we went bowling, swimming, which is something I haven't done um, as my uh, as my trouser size will attest in the last few years. That was great fun. Um, 
did like activities like pottery, painting, and things like that. And it was really good fun. Nice to obviously would always uh, want to spend time with the young, with the young beast, the young princess. But it's nice to go out and do stuff and have some fun and uh, take some cool pictures and uh, get beaten at bowling by a five year old. I will admit that my last six five bowls were were gutter balls. Don't know how that happened, but you know, it must have been an off day. To, um, whereas my young daughter managed to, with assistance from the little bowling ramp thing, managed to uh, manage to beat her old man. So uh, well done. Oh, yes, you won't be listening, but well done again. But no leisure time. It's just nice to take time off work. I've only been back in work for six weeks, but it's quite nice to have a couple of days off. But to do something product- productive and have some fun at the same time. And um, I've gone back in this week and uh, felt good for it. A couple of days off, obviously, plus the weekend as well. You recharge the old batteries, which everybody needs. So uh made me feel bloody awesome having time off, spending it with the young princess, but also doing some fun stuff, which kept me fairly fit and active, though the milkshakes and donuts, which came after, and the five guys probably, <laughs> probably uh, negated most of that. But uh, I think we will both admit two ways to stay bloody awesome there and this was another bloody awesome episode of the bloody awesome movie podcast bloody awesome however that is that for this episode the non-spoiler review if you want to hear our spoiler thoughts on free guy come back in a few days time uh for the spoiler minisode will drop however we will be back again next week where we're going to be giving our thoughts on the night house a film i'm very excited to watch and um hopefully we'll be very excited to talk about afterwards but uh the Night House will be our film for next week. If you want to find us online, you can do on Twitter. Go to BAMP pod underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast, or on Instagram, John. We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod, P-O-D. That's it. If you're still funding the Zuckerberg on Facebook, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, we post all our shows on there. If you want to find me, you can do whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and just search what I watch tonight across all the socials and letterboxed and you'll find uh my many ventures on there uh jb where can the world find and hear you i'm at burkreviews.com and burke reviews on all these social media platforms yep go check out john and you shan't regret it however with that i am going to tell you to stay bloody awesome and keep watching movies When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.